This is the Mostly NU Podcast. Welcome to episode five of the Mostly NU Podcast. Bryce here, joined by my brother Callum. Recording fresh off the Iowa loss. A frustrating end to that one, but we will get into that a bit later. One and one since we last recorded with a home win against Minnesota and this loss at Iowa that we just had. Sitting now in a tie for third in the Big Ten standing still, but just a game between us and the the tie for ninth place. So still a lot of parity there in the conference. Another big week ahead for us, but we'll get started here with a look at the Minnesota game. Calm, get right into it. Yeah, I mean, let's, uh, there's not really too much to get into. Obviously, it's a great win. Um, really, for, for us, I think it's it's a nice break in the middle of our, our six games in 13 days. Uh, it's good to see us taking care of business. Um, you know, that's the kind of game where you can you can get lost here in the middle of the conference and, and maybe slip one up, but uh, it was good to see the the focus, the energy from the guys. Great to see the the, the student section really um, going crazy on a on a Sunday morning. Um, so it was just nice to see nothing too huge from the game that really stands out, um, other than the fact that Minnesota is just a a terrible team. Yeah, they are really really bad. That was the first note I put. I think that they've got a good coach in place, but they're definitely not where they want to be yet. Some good things to come for them, but but not quite there yet. Same kind of thoughts for me. Honestly, I don't think there's any point to overanalyze this one. Chase and Boo, I think, showed their maturity, you know, combining for 45 points, just taking care of business in a game that we really needed a lot of people before the game saying, oh, this feels like that game that we let slip. This is the one that kind of derails the season, but definitely didn't let that happen. Titus, I want to give a shout out, played really nice. I think he played really well in the Iowa game too, especially in that first half. So Starting to see really good things come from him. Collins in his post game, listened to it on the way home on the radio, said thought it was one of Titus's best games, and that was good to see from Titus. I think one thing I will say on the student section, awesome to see. I think they sold that one out in 15 minutes for the student tickets, which is great. I know after the game, Chase said kind of gives the guys a boost to see just all the excitement around the team. But I will say I think that the student section needs to work on a little more coordination. Sometimes I think they don't really know where they should be cheering, what cheers they should be doing. I've been fortunate enough to see a lot of good student sections, and I think they just need some leadership maybe or pass around those sheets with the calls to give out to certain players and whatnot. But glad to see the excitement coming around for the team, and it just takes time, I think, to develop that kind of culture. Yeah, going off that student section, I really wish I was able to, to be at some of these Northwestern games this year. Um, Unfortunately, watching from a few miles away um, this season, so I wish I could could uh, make my way to Evanston for some of those those games. All right, let's get right into the Iowa game. A little more to unpack with this one. From my perspective, I think second half just kind of turned into more of the game. Iowa wanted to play, combined with the fact that we really just weren't shooting the ball well from three. I think twenty four percent. We finished the night on four total threes. Beating Iowa with four total threes, especially for as many as we usually take, is just a really tall order. I think that, you know, the COVID kind of layoff and all these stacked up games got to us. And I know we chatted about this during the game a little bit, but Iowa is not the kind of team that you can just have five off minutes against like you can against a Rucker or some other teams that don't score the ball as well. You've got to be on your full game or else they're going to jump on you and take that 
10, 15 point lead. That's just kind of that gut punch. And they just were able to land that gut punch on us, I think late in the second half. It's just with them, it feels like kind of uh, like when you're watching an NBA game and you just uh, see these, these teams just, you know, rip off a quick little 10 point run. Just it's, it's all the little things um, that kind of get to you here when you're, when you're a tired team. I remember, um, there's one time in the first half, you know, we just Sandifert just unmarked in transition. He's able to just walk into a three, um, right into it uh, in the transition. And it's those little small things when they they start running their pace. Just as we got tired down the stretch is when when they were able to have success. Um, and I think that definitely has to do a decent bit with the uh, the COVID layover we we've been having and, and playing these these back to back to back games all real quick here. Um, with just just a uh, a couple of days of of rest is is what really happened there in the second half for us. Yeah, and those that kind of just being tired, right? It gets exasperated when you're on the road. You don't have those guys to pick you up. You're just relying on your own team, and so that can just be harder to kind of bounce back when, like I said, we just didn't shoot that well, so you didn't have that going um, for the guys. I will say I know that some of the narrative kind of felt like, oh, in the first half, we were controlling the pace more, playing more of our game in the second, more of our game and in the second half, we weren't. But honestly, I think that in the first half, we did fall into their trap of wanting to be fast paced. We were just able to keep the offense up. So it felt like since we were tied out, it felt like we must have been playing the way we wanted to. But I think they really dictated the pace for most of this game. I mean, 39-39 in the first half is not the type of pace we want to play at. We'd like to be probably 30-30 in the first half if it was going to be tied. So I think that we just kind of ran out of gas, like we said there. Yeah, I mean, I think I think those first uh, like 10 to 15 minutes, I think we did a good job of, of setting that pace. But I think once they started to get into that the press that they started to run, um, that's when I think we really got out of our pace. They start hitting shots, um, get up in our face. Now we're they want to slow down our possession um, and then get their bucket in transition when we don't get a great look and they can get that rebound, get in transition. Um, that's what they were able to do to do well. Um, but it was nice to see in those first 10 minutes um, how we were able to play against a team like that. Um, but it's just about how can we figure out our adjustments um, to even when they get in their rhythm, what, what adjustments can we start making in game to when they start running their press and we get out of some of our typical action that we want to run because we're starting our offensive possession with just 15 seconds left and don't have time to get into to some of the action we want to get with, you know, big Matt at the high post and, and that stuff. So it's, it's, it's figuring out um, those, those little in-game adjustments there when they start to change up their strategy. Yeah. And it was interesting. I did feel like boo, especially was just really lackadaisical taking the ball off the court press or no press. And just wasn't really, didn't seem like anyone on the team was that interested in even starting the offense until there was 15 seconds on the shot clock, regardless of the press, which, I don't think is necessarily when you say you want to dictate the pace, I don't necessarily think we want to do it in that way with our offense. Right. I mean, we still want to run their same offensive sets. I think when we want to control the pace, we want to force them into slowing up possessions, taking longer on the shot clock. Obviously we can't press. We don't have the bodies to do it. Um, but I think just probably focusing more on stopping their transition offense would have been the best way for us to do it. Cause they did have a lot of transition buckets. It felt like to me, especially late, when things started to get out of hand and they kind of had us on our heels, it was fueled a little bit by that, by that transition offense. Yeah. Um, I will say that our offense, um, when we were, when, when boo would really facilitate and get into the sets real quick and we could run, um, 
you know, some of the things I saw in the first half was some of the uh, the zoom action using uh, Big Matt in that dribble handoff up at the uh, at the high post, um, using a little down screen for someone, some guard like like Chase or Ty coming off ball and then around um, the dribble handoff to Big Matt. When we're able to get into that stuff that you need to get into 20 seconds out so you can run that little three-man game on the right. All right, now he takes it over to the left. When he was able to do that, which was it felt like the scripted plays to the halves, right? Those first few minutes of the second half, or first eight minutes of the second half, I want to say, and and those first 10 minutes of the first half, when we were able to get those sets dialed in, that's when we, we were able to be successful and control that pace with a good offense rather than just a late starting offense. So it's it's figuring out those questions of why now in the last 10 minutes of, of either half are we straying away from from those actions that we really want to get into. It's a really good point you bring up, but I made a note on this too. In the second half, we saw a bunch of possessions where it was Chase, even Brooks Barnheiser just kind of running ISO, 10 seconds left in the shot clock. and yeah, I totally agree with you. We just kind of got away from running those sets. I don't know what the reason is that that happens, but something that certainly we need to address. I know we had some tough minutes when Boo picked up the third foul. To be running without Boo, obviously, the floor general for us plays the entire game. Typically, only 32 minutes actually tonight, so certainly had to play some minutes without Boo, which is difficult to do, but need to be consistent sticking with that offense, sticking with what we know works for us. Yeah. Um, the other thing I want to I want to throw out there, and I know you mentioned obviously Titus playing really well against Minnesota. I think he played another really good game today, um, doing his job. He had four blocks um, out there today. Um, him and him, Nick Martinelli, Brooks, all all really played um, phenomenal, phenomenal off the bench there. I mean, Nick Martinelli, it's really been something to see here. The confidence where he was he was shooting the ball, he was able to to uh, to drive it at Murray and pick up a foul. Yeah. That, that confidence from from a guy that's played, what, probably 45 minutes all year is really something to see and, and could be a key part now Now coming down. Having a glue guy like that could be huge. And then also also today, it felt like just going on personnel here with, with guys like Nick and, and Titus, this is a game where it does really hurt to, to not have Julian Roper in um, again. And he's a guy where it's, you know, it's a quicker-paced team. Julian's one of our more athletic guys. That's where – it feels like a guy like him could really, really be helpful. Absolutely. Having Julian really, like I said, just the guys kind of getting on our heels and not having an extra body to come in and bring in new energy. And he is such a great defender too. So definitely agree with you. I want to chime in too on Nick Martinelli. Really awesome to see in the first half. That was really, really fun. The first half was so much fun compared to the second half. I mean, easy to forget when the game ends like that, but the first half was a blast. That Chase Adige dunk from Boo was spectacular is going to be totally forgotten about because we lost, but that is genuinely one of the best plays I've seen from Northwestern basketball in a long time. So that was really fun. And, and Nick Marnelli, I was thinking when he started to play a little better in these last two games, when he had those minutes, it kind of showed some promise. I'm thinking probably, Oh, great option for next year. But honestly, this season could definitely see him kind of come into the fold, be a part of, the offense be a part of what we're trying to do. We're already thin. So certainly I think he's going to be somebody who sticks around even once Julian Roper comes back and gets probably, you know, at least five minutes a game. I'm sure some games he'll see more time, but he'll get his chances. Yeah. And, and having, getting a ninth guy to the, to the rotation then would just be huge for, for a game like Iowa where the pace is quick. So we can, 
get a few guys coming in and out, give give some of our guys some breathers. And going off what you said with uh, with the chase dunk, um, the athleticism that he has, I mean, where do you think – I'm going to ask you here. Like, what do you think he falls in the, the overall athleticism of a Northwestern player ever? Because I don't think many guys are – as quick can jump as high as he can in Northwestern history. So few guys are like that, that we've ever the had. The last guy I feel like is Vic Law, right? That comes to mind. Vic Law had some really big putback dunks like that. So he reminds me of that type of player who's able to get up. He's can, you know, get out and steals and make big <laughs> emphatic dunks in transition versus just a lay in. So Vic Law, he's right up there with Vic for me. And yeah, I agree. There are not too many other players that come to mind for that level of athleticism. It's uh, it's really fun to watch. Yeah, I think growing up, you know, for me at least, you know, we're winning with we're winning with John Sherna, not not Chase Hadish. Yeah, yeah, it's really good to see. I think he is uh, really, really playing high quality. I know he wasn't super efficient tonight, but hit a lot of those turnaround jumpers, and he's really honed in that shot lately. I mean, he is really money on those when he gets his back in the post, turns around and. They played some strong defense on him on those, but he was hitting them well. Certainly, I think, helps his prospects for his career after Northwestern. Yeah, and I certainly like the uh, the Jeff Settles comparison of, of him to Kobe. I certainly like that. Reminiscent <laughs> yeah, we'll of Kobe take that. around. We will take that all day. I <laughs> was watching with a friend, and she said, I literally cannot believe what I just heard. I had to do a double take because she was – hearing the Kobe comparison to Chase Adige, but yeah, Jeff Settles did make that, which was fun. All right, Calm, do you want to take us through the Michigan game? Yeah, uh, I'll, I'll run us through this to, to start here with Michigan. Um, so, I mean, we obviously, we've done a Michigan preview before. Um, you know, last time we played them, we go we go at Michigan. Um, don't play our, our best game. Um, obviously, coming off of that loss to Rutgers, you know, we lose 85-78. At the end of the day, they're just they're able to shoot the ball better. They're able to, you know, shoot forty five percent from three, ten of twenty two. Um, uh, Jet Howard, you know, goes four six from three. That's really where they really get their their stuff. You know, you got, you get a freshman coming off the bench that goes three of or uh, that, that plays well. And what we were successful in in this in the last game, I I can recall in the first half, is utilizing that small ball. Um, Big Matt wasn't playing his best. So we were able to to bring in um, a lineup with Boo, Chase, Robbie, Ty Berry, Julian Roper, and then I want to say I think Brooks might have been in there, Titus might have been in there, but it was stuff without without Big Matt. Um, and we did these hard doubles on Hunter, and we were able to get on this this ten o run um, towards the first half, bring this game back to where we wanted it. And that's what I'm I'm first wondering how we're going to use that information that that we learned off of them that we ended up straying far from in the second half. Um, so it's how are we going to defend that, that post player in Hunter Dickinson um, like we did last time? Because we held him to one of his more inefficient games, uh, just 10 points. He, he was able, he was good on the glass, but but 10 points in, in 29 minutes. So there's that. And then also, how are we going to defend Jet Howard? Um, he got lost a lot um, in some rotations for us uh, defensively. Um, you know, they were able to – they do a lot of the, the zoom action, as I was mentioning earlier, that we like to run with Hunter Dickinson um, and his mobility and how he's able to dribble, change high posts and use that action. They do a lot of off ball screens. So Jet was able to get, get lost in those and his four threes that he made, as I recall, at least three of them were, were wide open 
on some late rotations where he's able to to get that ball um, just in an open catch and shoot situation. So it's going to be key for us the the communication um, on those off ball screens that they're running um, to take away that three point jump shot that they were able to be so successful on. I think this one is an interesting one for me and my just general feelings on it before getting into any specifics is with the coaching I think we've done a really nice job this year of making adjustments throughout the season trying different lineups and that's why it does give me a little more confidence in this one playing a team for the second time playing at home I think that we will make the adjustments that we need to I think that Collins and staff are going to have a much better coach game than Juwan Howard's going to have I don't think that Kobe Bufkin and Jet Howard are going to combine for 38 again I know those guys are really playing well and they've really kind of showed their staying power as freshmen and sophomores in the league. But I think I'm confident in what our coaching staff can do with kind of the knowledge of playing the team before, seeing how we match up, looking back at that tape, telling the guys, hey, here's where those breakdowns were on Jet Howard, right? Those points of communication that were failures before. I think hopefully those guys will be able to relay that to the players and show them kind of where they made mistakes. I personally don't really think Juwan Howard is the most fantastic X's and O's coach. That may be more so just personal grudges against Juwan Howard too, but I think that Chris Collins in a different trend from the past years, I think he's really shown he's having a great coaching year. A lot of people have said potential coach of the year, Big Ten coach of the year, if he can keep this up. So I'm just kind of interested to see how that plays out, but definitely think that we get the upper hand from the coaching perspective. Yeah, 100% we get the upper hand with that. I mean, there's no doubt about it. Like, their players, they're all higher recruits. Um, they've got, yeah, you know... We don't have a single player. Stars. We don't have a single player that is inside the top 100 recruiting rankings, I believe. Yeah, and I don't know what the number is for them, but I would have to imagine at least half, if not more, of their guys are... Four high four and five star recruits, um, so that's obviously like you, you see that and you're like, well, they're they're going to be so great, but but his his inability to 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 change throughout the game has has really hindered um, their success this season, and um, this is I, I think this is the first time we'll play opponent for the second time, um, so it'll be interesting to see how how then we, we change our game plan from the last game, how we how we change up, how Collins and, and the assistants change up the, the strategy um, and what worked and what didn't. Um, so that'll be an interesting point to see. Yeah, absolutely. And just to call out a little bit on what kind of Michigan's been up to since we last played them, they're one in three. They've got losses at Maryland home against Purdue, and then at Penn State in a win against Minnesota. So haven't done a whole lot. They did kind of get taken to the woodshed by Penn State, but played close against Maryland and, and had a good showing against Purdue, obviously a tough team. So Michigan is definitely not where they want to be right now, 11-10. and 10. They, I'm not sure what the locker room's like right now for them, but certainly could be turning a bit negative. So hopefully we can take advantage I'm sure they'll be hungry. They know if they want to get things going, they're really going to have to start piling up the wins if they want to play in March. So we'll see what kind of team we get, what kind of energy we get from this Michigan team. And hopefully our crowd can give us a, a big, big boost at home on Thursday night. And I'm just going back to, to what I said about um, adjustments, um, Michigan has played um, Maryland and Penn State twice um, this season. 
in the second meeting, they, they did lose both. Um, both then were on the road. Um, so, so maybe that speaks to a, to a lack of adjustments. I know Penn State lost by 10 and then won by, you know, 20. Maryland got stomped by Michigan by 30 and, and then came back and, and won at, at home. So, so certainly Juwan at least ha- yet has not made the adjustments um, against some of these some of these other teams that he's played so far this year. Yeah, that's a really good call out. Certainly something really interesting to watch for in that Michigan game. Moving on here, we've got Wisconsin a little later in the week. We play them on Sunday night in Madison. They're just 0-2 since we last played them. I believe they have a game on Thursday against let me check here, Ohio State. So they're on a three-game skid, and we'll see that how, how that Ohio State game goes. But another team that is in definitely a really tough situation. They've lost six of their last seven. They don't have a, a real marquee win to their name. So they're going to be a team, I think, that similar to Michigan, could go either way, right? You get a team that's really hungry to turn around or maybe a team that's that's doubting themselves. But, Calm, give us your, your take on this one. Yeah. So again, I mean, this is another another team that we we're playing for the second time this season. They're they're going on the road to Ohio State um, to start the week. Um, they're they're going to be big big road underdogs there. In terms of of their style, and I mean, we've we've been over this. It's just the the kind of typical um, Wisconsin team. Defensive. Nothing's going to stick out to you. They're going to play a slow game. And that's the kind of thing that I always think plays well into our hands. Um, is that slow game, right? So, like, obviously, like we saw in this Iowa game today, we struggled because they were able to to get out ahead of us, and we just didn't have the bodies to keep up with with that pace down towards the end, right? So, Wisconsin, if we go on a four-minute, five-minute, you know, scoring drought where, you know, we only have a bucket, it's not, not the end of the world for us. And we know that we'll have Chase, we'll have Boo, and they'll – have those five minute stretches of amazing offense that they don't have that'll give us the advantage in this game. I know we'll be we'll be underdogs, uh, just seeing as it's 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 at Wisconsin, and I mean that's certainly a, a difficult place to play. But I like knowing that we have the better team. Certainly on on the road, it's going to be tough. But but knowing looking at the rosters, we have the more athletic guys. Um, we have the better talent, um, and honestly, I think we, we have the better coaching. Um, so those are all things that are, that are going to be huge um, for us going into that game. Yeah, agree with everything you said. I'm feeling good about this one. I think the biggest piece, and this is one thing that kind of frustrates me, that we lost that Rucker game that we could have had, is that these types of teams, the teams that kind of play like we do, um, and they want to slow it down, I think they favor us, right? We know we're going to be in the game. I think our team can close. We do have the better individual players than Wisconsin. And since we both do want to slow up the game, we know that the game's going to be kind of played in the way we know we want to play. It's going to be an ugly game. It's going to be a defensive game. And frankly, we're just better than Wisconsin. So if we're playing the type of game that we want to play, I really like our chances to come out ahead. And I agree. I don't think Greg's done a great job this year with this team. I think that they certainly could be have a better record than their team reflects. So it'll be another interesting coaching matchup to see how the two teams make adjustments. They really tried to run a lot through Tyler Wall last time we played, and we did a nice job of shutting him down, making him 
fairly inefficient last time we played. So we'll see what they try to do with him uh, in this game on Sunday night. Those are the games that we've got coming up for the next week. And now we'll move on to some questioners we took from our listeners. So first, sticking with basketball here, we'll take a question from Abigail from Chicago. She asked us, what do we need to do to make the NCAA tournament this year? I think that we may have little, slightly different answers here, but I'll let you take this one first, Cal. Yeah, um, so obviously you hate looking ahead um, at the schedule and, and looking back, but it's certainly tough that, you know, obviously we don't get two games against Minnesota or Nebraska. You know, we, we've gotten those out of the way. Um, and now we're, we're looking at these next two games are, are really our easiest games. After this, at least if you like, if you like looking at metrics, our easiest game is, is at home against Penn State. We do have a really, really tough schedule, and I mean they're the they're the 40th ranked team team in Ken Palm. So, so after these these next two against Michigan, Wisconsin, it's it's all all high level teams, and I mean we're sitting at six wins. So to me, I think you've got to get to ten wins uh, in conference play. I know the Big Ten is is tough, but the problem for us is that we only have one good non conference win. Um, and that's a neutral site win against Liberty, who they are good in the metrics, but you know, being in the the A Sun, I believe it is, they might not even be a tournament team. Um, so, so outside of that, I mean, our, our next best win is is DePaul. Um, so that 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 non conference resume will, will really hurt us, making it look to me like we are going to need to to pull some upsets down the road and pick off some some wins against you know. In, in those home games against, you know, Indiana, Iowa, Penn State, and then and then you possibly think about stealing a road game, you know, at Illinois or, or, or something like that. But but to me it's it's getting to that ten win number and then you don't really need to worry at all about how do we do in the Big Ten tournament. Because you, you said at that nine number, to me you're you're looking at that um oh, I'm, I'm first four in or last four in, first four out. I'm right in there. And now you gotta go win against uh for, for all you know, you, you get paired as the eight nine seed in the Big Ten tournament, and and you win a game, but then you got to go play Purdue, um, putting yourself in a, a really difficult situation. Yeah, I think that it is tricky to to answer this right with there being so many games left. I mean, ten games left, a lot can happen. What teams you beat, obviously, really important. I do think a lot of the wins end up kind of being the same, other than Purdue stands out as obviously your opportunity to really get a win. That's that marquee win. I think 10 wins. I think if it's just 10, it depends when they come. If we finish the season, maybe with three wins, that 10 win number is okay. I think then you need to start looking at the quality more. Certainly if we beat Purdue, you're in with 10 without a doubt. But if it's just Michigan, Wisconsin here, the next two games, and then maybe we take say Penn state at home and then we get maybe Maryland on the road or we get Iowa at home and lose first round of the Big Ten tournament, I don't know. I think then we're probably really on the bubble. I think for me to feel comfortable, no matter who we beat, 11 wins gets us in for sure. I I think, yeah, 11 wins. If we get 10, I would say we probably need to catch one in the Big Ten tournament unless we take Purdue down here in about two weeks. So that's where I think I'm at. Yeah, it's it's so tough to gauge, and I think the one thing that also makes then the 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 actual number in conference play such a tough thing is because 
when you have two teams like Nebraska and Minnesota that almost every single team beats, it just raises that bar on, on where you need to be because now that the bottom is low, which typically you think of a bottom of the Big Ten team, you know, still getting six wins in conference, um, at least in the last few. So, so I do think that's a that's a fair point you bring up with with getting to eleven. I still think with how good the Big Ten is and thinking right now, most guys have us, you know, Joe Lenardi and stuff. They have us nine or ten guys getting into the tournament. Um, I would have to imagine we'll be finishing higher than an eight seed in the Big Ten with ten wins. Yeah. That's true. It'll be it'll be really interesting to see. I think too, just the little things that matter too is what place you finish in the Big Ten standings can have a big impact. So even some of those little tiebreakers and stuff, when the committee just sees a number, right? They see oh eighth place versus tenth place, that makes a big difference to them. And I think too, just kind of what form we end the season on. If we lose the three last three, but we lose the last three and then lose in the Big Ten tournament, but we had eleven wins, you know, maybe it is more of a bubble team situation. So I think for me I definitely need to remember that got to take it one game at a time. You know, I need Chris Collins tell me that like he tells the players don't get too high or too low. I always get way too high and way too low. So we just got to ride the wave and enjoy these games. I think, you know, easy to forget that we haven't had big games here almost into February here, late January, like this Iowa game, you know, that was a really big opportunity. So just good to, and really fun to have these games and, and for them to mean a lot. We will move on to our second listener question here. Not so much as a question, just something they wanted us to discuss. So Jack from Seattle wants us to discuss a tweet here from Louis Vicar. I believe it's Louis Vicar. I, I can never get his name right. On Twitter, he runs the Wildcat Report. He tweeted that Northwestern has four NFL Combine invitations for a team that finished 1-11. That's got to be a record and not a good one. So... In the NFL Combine, Calum, correct me if I'm wrong, in these four guys, we got Peter Skronsky. He's a projected top 10, number one, first-round pick for sure, I think top 10. We've got Evan Hull, Cam Mitchell, and then Otto Tomway, Otto Bawore, excuse me. So those are the four guys we've got in the Combine, and certainly all really, really strong individual players, guys that had great seasons we knew before the season. They were going to be really strong, which certainly makes that one and eleven record disappointing. I think the question part of it becomes right: How did we put up the one and eleven record, as the tweet alludes to, with having four NFL caliber players? So I guess that is the question I'll pose to you. It it comes down to one thing, and that's quarterback. That's why um, it's quarterback, and then the guys around them aren't great. So if you look at a guy like like Tommy. Um, right on the D line, he's he's a monster. He can he can move guys around. He can he can get to the quarterback. He can stop the run game. But when the other four guys on the on the D or the other three guys on the D line aren't great, well now you can you can you can send two at him, right? You can you can take him out. And when you look at again, a corner like Cam Mitchell, he's he's great, does everything right, makes the right plays. Well, there's four pass catchers on every play or five. Right, so it takes him takes him out of the game, and then Evan Hole and, and, and Peter Skaronski. I mean, those guys then um, they're they're just half the offense. Um, they Peter's Peter's one of five on the O line, so it's just the same you saw with uh, Rashawn Slater in uh, in 2019. Right, he he's obviously now an All Pro left tackle, but the guys around him weren't weren't great. 
So you can only do so much. It's it's not like not like basketball, obviously, where where one guy, two guys can send you to the the final four and make you a an unbelievable team. Having five great football players, you can still be a very very mediocre team. I mean, look at a team like Miami every year. They've got five stars up and down the board, and they've got draft picks and and all that. But it, it's about really getting that that team cohesion and, and talent together. And then obviously having a good quarterback to lead them, you know, in a battle is what it, what it all comes down to, in, in my opinion. Yeah, I'm with you on that. I think for me, quarterback play certainly sticks out as right. That's the most important position of football and uh, the way the game's played today. So I definitely think, you know, if you don't have a stud quarterback or you have that kind of uncertainty like we had at the position, it can be really difficult. But to me, it's more so kind of about that second part. It's about the depth, right? So these guys just didn't have enough talent around them. I think just there were some glaring gaps, you know, injuries play a part and everything. But to me, it's just about the depth. The Don't have the same depth that we had in years past to kind of help those guys out and make them shine. I think that these guys' draft stock would have been even higher, especially for the Tommy and Peter Skronsky, his draft stock can't really go any higher, but right, those are guys that can really get picked on if they know they don't have to worry about other positions as much. So for those guys, I think that they would have even had better seasons, Tommy in particular, if he had a little more help on the defensive line. I'm sure they're all going to make fantastic NFL players, though, and we don't need to get into the football can of worms. I know we've been trying to avoid that too much here during basketball season, so I think we can we can leave it at that, but four fantastic players for Northwestern over the past several seasons, always fun to watch them and looking forward to see kind of what happens for them on draft day and then how their careers go going forward. Well, let's move on to the power rankings. So we're in week two here of doing some power rankings and we're not going to discuss quite as in depth as we did last time, but I'll first run through the rankings here for you guys. And then we'll just talk through a bit of the changes we made. So starting from top to bottom, we had Purdue at one, Illinois at two, Iowa at three, Rucker at four, Maryland at five. And I think I'll stop there. I think two through three through five were a bit difficult for us. If you want to kind of comment on that Iowa, Rucker, Maryland, we had a three through five count. Yeah, those are those are all teams that have um, that have had a good week here. Um, Rutgers obviously taking on Iowa and then Iowa having their win against us. And, and they've been playing well recently. Maryland, you know, just, just tonight, um, as that Northwestern game was going on, um, they took down Indiana. Um, so those are teams that just, I mean, as, as a power ranking goes, it's, it's how you've been playing recently. And those are the teams that since we, since we last did these rankings, that have proven the most out of that, that middle two to, to eight section. Those are the teams that have proven the most, along with with um, with Illinois. Those are the teams that, in this last week, we've been able to sit there and watch and go, "Okay, you guys have separated yourself and shown that you are a better caliber team than than a than a, a Michigan State or, or a Penn State or, or a Northwestern. They've they've proven that they are on a slightly different level, and you're starting to see now." All right, there's going to be probably a more clear one to four seed that gets that double buy in the Big Ten tournament. 
Absolutely. I think, too, Maryland's an interesting one. I know we talked about this a little bit before the podcast, but even at five, you know, maybe it feels like they're a little low. I know we had them all the way back at nine last week. Their team, for some reason, this year just hasn't got maybe the media attention and we're falling into that, but haven't been talked a lot a lot, but they're pulling together a nice season and certainly a team I think is getting slept on by the national media that could definitely make a run here come March and make a run even in the Big Ten tournament. But we'll move on here. So after Maryland at five, we had Northwestern at six, dropping three spots. Probably had them a little high last week. We were drinking the Kool-Aid, riding the wave, but that is all good. And then Indiana at seven, Michigan State at eight, Penn State nine. Any comments you want to make on that six through nine range? Those are ones, again, I think, kind of bunched up there before we get to the bottom of the Big Ten. Yeah, I mean, like, let's be honest, six and seven, I feel like I might have had some input to um, just with my personal like and dislike of teams. <laughs> um, so I think that that certainly could have played into it. Indiana, I think I think they're they're a good team. I, they certainly did have some, some good wins this week. Um, but you look at then, I mean, right, they, they go out and they beat Ohio State at home, but a close loss or a close win against Minnesota. Um, like they beat Michigan State at home. None of the wins here in the last two weeks to me are, are like, wow. Like that is truly uh, a step above to put them um, up over the mark because at the end of the day, you can't forget about, you know, like they lose at home to us. Um, they lose to Iowa, lose to Penn State. Um, they lose those games. It's just something you can't lose sight of. I know they're playing, playing a better, better brand of basketball right now, but this is a team that at one point was sitting one and four in the big 10 and, They've, they've played well right now, but uh, uh, Michigan State, Penn State, they're just at the opposite coin of Iowa, Rutgers, Maryland. They're, they're teams that are both sitting right there. Penn State was a little below that. They've had a good game against Michigan, um, but it's just teams that haven't been, to me, uh, at least on that same level of, of Iowa, Rutgers, at least in the last couple of weeks. Yeah, and I think with these four teams here, we just see more of the – you don't know what team you're going to get night to night. I think Indiana's the biggest team that we see that from, but even from Northwestern, you know, we see that. And we certainly see it um, from these teams as we get towards the bottom. So I think looking to find consistency is something that can help any of these teams make a jump, solidify themselves, maybe get back into or stay in contention, I should say, for the double buy in the Big Ten tournament, which is the only way you're really going to win the tournament is with that double buy. So certainly really important to try to get in the top four of the standings. Yeah. I'd certainly go on, on uh, Penn state for, for the, the prime example of, you don't know what you're going to get. I mean, they go out and beat Michigan by 20, uh, two weeks ago, they beat <laughs> Indiana by 20, but, but they lose by 20 to Rutgers and they, they lose to Wisconsin. Um, you know, they, they beat Purdue earlier in the season or not, not that I'm thinking of Rutgers. Now I'm talking about them, but, um, it's just a team you don't you don't know what you're gonna you're gonna get from them. Absolutely, I think what did they put up against Rutgers? And they put up 45 points or something like that. Just incredibly low offensive output. Um, and they yeah, go put up uh, 80 on Michigan and win by 20. Could have been more probably. So you really don't know what you're gonna get with some of these teams toward the bottom. But I think that's just kind of Penn State specifically is how they want to play. They shoot a ton of threes and ride live or die by the three for them and sometimes it works sometimes it doesn't you know that's what you're going to get yeah yeah. 43 43 percent of their points this season are are coming from behind the behind the three-point line 
fourth most in, in, in college basketball, most in the Big Ten. Yeah, certainly living and dying by the three-point line for Penn State. So moving down here, I don't think there's too much discussion on these unless you've got anything you want to add. It's pretty cut and dry, I think. Michigan 10, Wisconsin 11, Ohio State 12, Nebraska 13, Minnesota 14. I mean, Ohio State is the one that's just still such a head-scratcher. They cannot get their season turned around, it seems like. They had a good win against Iowa at home last weekend, but then they dropped to Illinois and Indiana both on the road, but really didn't look great in either of those games. So they are really, really digging themselves a hole for this season. Yeah, so I think Michigan, for the rest of the season, they really, really, really need to get get hot. You know, these the three teams I'm talking about, Michigan, Wisconsin, Ohio State, Nebraska, Minnesota, they're, they're out of it. They're, they're the clear bottom of the barrel. Michigan, Wisconsin, Ohio State, they've all shown signs of we can be a tournament team. But the thing that Michigan's shooting themselves in the foot with is that poor non-conference schedule going six and five. Uh, Ohio State somehow managed to be manages to be three and seven in conference. But the thing is with these these three teams, if you tell me in in two weeks, three weeks that Ohio State is sitting at uh, like nine and eight in conference, I would not be that surprised. If they go six and two in their next eight. That wouldn't be terribly surprising to me. So I'm not going to say these teams are, you know, sitting dead in the water. I mean, Ohio State has a semi-favorable schedule coming up here. Um, you know, home games against Wisconsin, us, Michigan State. Um, you know, home games against Penn State, Illinois, Maryland. Um, you know, of their of their last uh, uh, ten games here, you know, they get they get more at home, uh, and they they aren't playing the the tougher of that that middle stretch um and i do think there's certainly a world where where that team can can be more successful um of this this last group i think they're the team that has the highest potential um is the main thing that i'm i'm seeing out of this group i know they're 12th right now but i can certainly see a world where they're sitting at the the eight nine seed in the big time tournament play well in the big time tournament sneak into the 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 last four in um come march um, it's not something I'd be that surprised by. No, they're absolutely the team with the most potential to climb up the rankings. I mean, for one, just getting into the tournament because they still do have high rankings and, you know, Ken Palm and, and net rankings. I'm not sure what they're at, but I'm sure they're higher than their record indicates. That'll help them if they do go on a run for the selection committee. So certainly the most talent, they've got a lot of really good players on their team and just haven't been able to make a click late in games, so would not be surprised either to, to see them make a run here late in the season. Let's move on to just going around the conference games from the past week and games we've got coming up in the next week. Over the past week since we last recorded, I think games that stick out to me, the Iowa game, them beating us, but also them scoring 93 against Rucker. That is really, really impressive. I think the Penn State win against Michigan is impressive, good for them to kind of hold serve there. Other than that, not a ton sticks out to me. Anything for you over the past week, Kel? Uh Yeah, I'd say the one for me that, that I saw that was that was pretty impressive was Indiana's win against uh, Ohio State. Um, obviously, I, I would say they were building momentum, but, you know, a loss to Maryland – um, I mean, which not necessarily too surprising going at Maryland, a place where, where Maryland's only 
only lost one game this season, but um, to beat them by 16 pretty comfortably um, was pretty impressive. <laughs> the other thing, obviously, I'll mention from that game, boy, they they better get some some engineers into assembly hall. That that might be a <laughs> that might be a health health uh, and safety hazard there in the next couple of games. Maybe wear your hard hat if you're if you're going to an Indiana game in the next couple of weeks. Yeah, for those that didn't see the game, a piece of metal, probably four feet long, fell from the jumbotron directly onto the court. I think it was right before the half was about to start. So one of the Ohio State players, I can't remember who, literally ran probably three feet past it, almost got hit. So they, I guess, checked it out and said it was fine. And apparently it's happened before, but a bit of a strange uh, mishap there at Assembly Hall last weekend. When I when I first saw that, I, I will be honest, I figured it was one of those um, little little balloon type things that you know you, you you clap together that some fan just had thrown onto the court. Um, you see the replay, and certain certainly not that. Yeah, I just assumed it was just a classic Indiana fan throwing debris onto the court. You know, it's just what happens, right? But no, that wasn't the case. <laughs> we should uh, we should mention um, we were both at um, this past weekend. We went to the uh, the Purdue Michigan State game uh, down in West Lafayette. Um, so certainly good to see a, a Purdue team that, that we'll match up against later in the season. And it gets me thinking about at least how in the heck are we going to guard Zach Eady? Um, he had a monstrous performance at the game we were at. Yeah, Zach played really well, certainly showed us why he's national player of the year, favorite runaway block to get that. I know that we'll have definitely, we won't get into it tonight, but Calm and I certainly have some different thoughts on how Northwestern is going to be able to handle Purdue. So that'll be fun. We'll, we'll save that for Purdue game week. We'll bring on some, a Purdue expert as well to help us in that conversation. So that'll be a good episode here in about two weeks, but we will save that debate for when the Purdue state come Purdue game comes up for us, but let's take a look at games we've got coming up over the next week that stand out for me taking a look, obviously excluding our game. I think for us, it's a huge game, but I think Wisconsin at Ohio state, that's a big one for those teams, right? Loser. That one is really, it's hard to say a team's dead yet, but I mean, they're pretty much dead. I think another big one, Michigan state, Rucker, Illinois, I was going to be interesting. I was playing so well. Illinois playing well. It's a game on Fox one That'll be a really fun one to watch. Hopefully we get a good one, and then I've got to call it, of course, Purdue at Indiana. So Saturday is really stacked looking at the Saturday morning slate. What, uh, what ones stand out to you, Cal? Yeah, I mean, I think there's, you know, you get the typical big-time games that you mentioned. Um, obviously, you know, you got your, your Illinois-Iowa, your Rutgers-Michigan State. Um, but obviously the game that, that stands out to me the most is that um, uh, Purdue-Indiana game. The biggest game in, in Big Ten play this season, um, at least from a, a national national spotlight, it'll be one heck of an environment down in down in Bloomington. But then outside of that, you you see um, this might be looking too far ahead, but you know Rutgers and Indiana, Maryland, Michigan State. I think we'll have an episode out by then. But but looking ahead, it's just these these typical Big Ten games that you'll see every week between now really coming down to the wire of, of these bubble teams, uh, like you said. Yeah. And I think one thing I'll call out here, just back to Northwestern a little bit is with these two games this week on Thursday and Sunday, I, 
I think that, you know, it, it can be easy after one loss, say, oh, this feels like 2020. I think that, you know, that can't be the mindset. I think this team really is different. We really play a lot better brand of basketball. So Michigan's a good team. They can get hot. I think we'll win. But, you know, if we drop that one to Michigan, there's no need to hit the panic button. I think just catch one of these next two and everything's all right. Even if we drop the next two, still plenty of opportunities left for us. So just need to stay the course here over the last uh, weeks. I think probably just about a month left here, Big Ten play. So just stay the course, enjoy the ride. And I think we'll we'll have some good wins down the stretch. Thanks, everybody, for listening to the Mostly NU podcast. Make sure to like, subscribe, rate, and share this with your fellow Northwestern and Big Ten fans. If you've got any other questions, comments, thoughts, feel free to reach out to us on Twitter at MostlyNU. Comment on any of our tweets. Feel free to shoot a DM, and we will be happy to feature it on the podcast. And as always, thanks to our music editor, Carson, and our graphic designer, Jameson. Go Cats!